We've been looking at the book of Titus together as God's divine book for, for the essentials of evangelism. So to have a little bit of a background of this book would be helpful to us to appreciate this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote it to a young evangelist or younger than him, it seems, Titus. And he was left on the island of Crete to help confirm and establish the congregations to set in order things that were lacking. And so in our study of that, we started with Titus 1.1, and we looked at the first chapter with the idea of healthy leadership. That if we're going to be effective in reaching the lost, we have to be a sound congregation, a sound church. And by sound, the Bible means healthy. Healthy in all the different ways, and particularly in chapter 1, with leadership. We considered together the commitments of a healthy leader in the first four verses. And then in verses 5 through 9, the character of healthy leaders. And then in chapter 2, we got into chapter 2, and we were considering together last time after we looked at these uh, false teachers and problem uh, makers in the early church that... Uh, were causing trouble and contradicting the truth and how the leaders ought to protect the church and how they had a charge to rebuke them sharply and take care of things and don't let things go and stay true to the truth and don't turn to fables and commandments of men and those things. Then Paul writes to Titus chapter 2 verse 1 about how they needed to be, he needed to be teaching things that were fitting for sound doctrine. And that pertains to healthy members or membership as we look into verses 2 through 10. We often think of doctrine as it pertains to the five acts of worship, the five steps of salvation, and that's right. But it also includes healthy, godly living because we do not want the Word of God to be blasphemed. We do not want it to be spoken against. We do not want opponents of Christ and the truth and the church to have something bad to say about us that's actually true. We looked at that last time in the last session. And we studied together how we want to wear the doctrine of God. We want to adorn the doctrine, show it attractive. Otherwise, we are not going to be effective in reaching the people in our families and in our communities where we are and where we worship. Now as we look into this next section, verses 11 through 15, by way of introduction, just consider this, that every individual, you know this, I'm speaking to individuals, and individuals who make up various congregations around this area. Individually, we face trials, hardships, difficulties, ups and downs, and the same is true of congregations in the congregational life. And what we want to do as children of God is try to minimize those times when we're down. Obviously, we'd love to eliminate them, but that's not completely possible. But we want to minimize those times when we're down, when, when we're struggling, but more than struggling, when we, we're kind of not really doing anything spiritually like we should, as it pertains especially to fishing for people. And I've brought in Matthew 4, 19 a number of times to remind myself as a form of accountability, I need this, and so do all of us, that if we are not fishing for people, we're, we, we biblically, we can't say we're following Jesus. Because Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, fishers of people. And so it's essential that we're fishing for the souls of men and women to make sure we're following Christ. 
we should have understood when we were baptized into Christ that I'm becoming a child of God to help others become children of God. Not merely go to worship. That's part of it, and that's very important. But it extends out into the community. And so there are some essentials that we want to consider, even tonight, in regard to a healthy membership. There are two fill-in-the-blanks at the top of the study guide. The two key words that I want everything to go back to is keep working. Keep working. And I take this section here to uh, mean that, to exemplify that. That the grace of God is what produces the change in the behaviors, excuse me, the change in the behaviors of the older men, the older women, the younger women, and the younger men. That's every category. No one is left out. Everyone has a part to do and a way to live within the congregation and the community. And so as we face these trials and hardships, we're going to sometimes get discouraged. And, and, and many of you have been serving God longer than I've been alive. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And those of you who may be my age or younger, you know too. If you've been serving God for any length of time at all, you know that. It's going to happen. It happens. But we do not want to forget that there are people in our communities and our families and in our workplaces that are not prepared for the judgment. They are not prepared for eternity. And we want to grow in our love for them. And one of the ways that we do that is by trying and doing our best, putting every effort to make the congregation where we are as healthy as possible so that the doctrine of God is attractive. And people that know us and they learn, they want to be a part of that. That's just so very important. Keep working. What is it that keeps us working? The grace of God. Look with me at the study guide and then at the text. Number one on the study guide, we need to keep working because God's grace teaches us. Verses 11 through 14. We need to keep working because God's grace teaches us certain things. And we're going to look at that. I noticed in the study in previous sessions, and then tonight I'll draw our attention to it again, that multiple times Paul uses the word for, verse 11, for. And incidentally, most of them, of which I'm aware that we've considered in this study, it's the word gar, and it means because. It means because. It's, it's an explanation. So the church is to be healthy and sound in these relationships with each other, applying the wisdom of God so we can have healthy relationships in our families, in our communities, and especially in the church or as the church. And then in verse 11, after he addresses the older men, the younger men, the older women, and the younger women, he then says, because, or for, verse 11, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, to all people, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. So tonight, for our consideration, seeing that it is the grace of God that, that teaches us and trains us and develops us, the grace of God teaches us through the word of God. And that's what we have. We're so rich to have that. Let's consider together under that heading, first, verse 11, the love that the Savior has, or rather, 
how we are to love the Savior's life, the work that he did. Verse 11, the Lord himself, God's great favor, has brought salvation. It's made it possible, and it's been made manifest. It's been made possible, and it's been revealed to all people. It's available to and for all people. God's grace brings salvation. And that's something we must never forget as the church of Christ. That it's God's grace that brought the salvation and made it possible that we could know the will of God. That we could be so blessed by the will of God. That we could have the forgiveness of sins. That we can stand before God justified and sanctified and washed in the blood by the great grace of God. And I think of the song that we like, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And all those lyrics, many of those lines are good. And they remind us about God's amazing grace. And that's what keeps us going when we're thinking about quitting. Or when we've quit and then we come back to the Word of God or we hear the Word of God taught, we hear an evangelist, we hear one of our shepherds in the local congregation where we are, or some brother or some sister say some word of encouragement, some word of exhortation, say, hey, and it makes us think, where am I with God? Where am I in my walk? I'm not doing what I know I should do. I'm not doing what I know I can do. And this is what I want to draw our attention to. When that occurs, we are not being as effective as we possibly can to reach the people that are around us. We are hindering that effort. So we need to love the Savior's life and God's plan and how it's been revealed even to us. And we are recipients of that blessing. We must always keep it in our hearts. That's what motivates us to serve God. That's what motivates us to teach those, even when it may not be easy, because of what Jesus has done. We look at the cross and what the Lord has done and how the Lord has died for all. He's made it possible for us to be right with Him. And He wants those folks that are around us that we see, whether we know them or not, He died for them, and He wants them to have that opportunity too. And we are, as children of God, we are taught to leave the sinful life, verse 12. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And as such, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Worldliness. If we are to be effective in reaching those around us, the grace of God reminds us, the grace of God teaches us that we are to leave the sinful life behind. Satan's goal is to get children of God to go back to their past lifestyles. And probably all of us have done that at some point for varying lengths of time and for varying reasons and so forth. It happens sometimes. But we are to leave behind these things. And it's good for us to know what those things of the world are. So I did a little word search. And I did a little bit of homework. And it didn't take me extremely long. And you can look it up online or I can give you this list. But I want us to be aware of the sinful lifestyles that we need to live behind. There's a long list. Y'all got about an hour. You ready? I'm teasing, of course. Abusers of self. Having unnatural lusts. Adultery, anger, approving of those who practice sin, backbiters, banqueting, drinking parties, going to drinking parties, 
becoming a stumbling block, being angry with one's brother, bitterness, blasphemy, boasting, brawling, brother going to law with brother, burying our talents, calling one's brother a fool, chambering, that is, unmarried people living and sleeping together, clamor, loud, continued noises, complaining, contentious, corrupt communications like bad language, etc. Covenant breakers like lightly breaking your word. Covetousness, craftiness, deceit, defiling the body, defraud, denying Christ, desiring the praise of men, despiteful, dishonesty, disobedient to parents, division, double tongue, drunkenness, eating the bread and drinking the cup of the Lord, not discerning and not examining, effeminate, unmanly or womanish man, envy, evil desire, longing for things that are forbidden, evil eye, selfish motives, evil thoughts, extortion, false humility. Folks, I need to go on. We need to, fathers provoking their children to wrath, fearful, discouraged, anxiety, anxious, you know, Jesus did speak about not worrying, filthiness, filthy lucre, finding faults with others, foolishness, foolish talking, giving false witness, fornication, that's illicit physical sexual acts, giving offense, let, let me keep going, we're to leave these things, greediness, guile, hating God, hating others, hearing the sayings of Christ but not following them, Heresies, that's religious opinion and starting your own clique or group. High-mindedness, hypocrisy, hypocritical judgment, idle words, idolatry, loving someone or something more than God. Illicit sexual acts or lusts would be another one. Lusts, inordinate affection, passion, lusts, inventors of evil things, jealousy. And knowing to, get, to do good, but not doing it, leaving God out of your plans. Lasciviousness, lustful, excitable lust, laying up treasures on earth, lewdness, that's being morally unrestrained, living in pleasure, fond of luxury and sensual pleasure, lovers of self, loving another person more than Jesus, lying, maliciousness, mockery, murder, murmuring, complaining, Passion, being presumptuous, that's being bold in what's evil. Pride, self-esteem, being puffed up, railing, reveling, rioting, sedition, self-will, speaking against the Holy Spirit, sorcery, you know, like practicing magic with the aid of evil spirits, speaking evil of dignitaries, stealing, strife, stiff-necked, strife, quarreling, striker, somebody that's ready to fight, swearing and not keeping your word, you know, making a promise, not keeping your word, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, traitors, trusting in riches, not entering the door by the shepherd, by, through the sheepfold, unbelief, uncleanliness, I'm almost done, unforgiving, unmerciful, unrighteousness, unthankfulness, whispers, whoremongers, Witchcraft, wickedness, without natural affection, hard-hearted, without understanding, unwise, wrath, maybe there's more. You know, when we hear a sermon on we need to leave behind worldly things, it's easy to just think, well, I don't murder anybody. 
I don't rape anybody. I don't punch anybody in the mouth. I don't beat my kids. I don't beat my wife. I go to work every day. But man, when you look at that exhaustive list of things that are not pleasing to God, it's quite a few. We're to leave these kinds of things. The grace of God teaches us to leave the sinful life of worldliness behind. We're, we're to fix, set our minds on things above, Colossians 3, 2. And that would include seeking first the kingdom of God. Not self, not job, not family, not money, not sports, not career, not college scholarships. Jesus, his kingdom. And we are also, let's continue, to live the sanctified life, letter C. Key word, sanctified. We're to keep working because God, his grace, it teaches us to love the Savior's life, to leave the sinful life, and to live the sanctified life. And here in this verse, in verse 12, uh, Paul describes the relationship we're to have with ourself, with others, and with God. Look at this. We could say soberly, righteously, and godly like this. We're to live properly inwardly, outwardly, and upwardly before God. Let's look at verse 12. The grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. That's how we think inwardly. Righteously, before God, doing right. Before others, we do right before others for God's sake and for His glory. And godly in the present age. You know, an atheist can do the first two of those. They can be sober-minded. They can have healthy mindset about themselves. They can even have uh, a behavior. And I don't know how many unbelievers there are out there, but you know them and I know them and I see them. They're overall very righteous in their behavior. They don't do a lot of these things. They don't. But the one thing that greatly differs us from them and them from us is to do with godliness. Atheists can't be right with God because they don't know God. They don't believe in God. And there are others who don't have that godliness, that connection to God. They're not living right before God because they're not doing what he says to do to have a right relationship with them. And it pains me to no end. Many of those people profess to be Christians. And we dare not be those kinds of people. That we are not aware of what the Word of God teaches about being right with God. We dare not trust some little pamphlet or something our cousin told us or something our mom said. We've got to know what the Word of God teaches in order to be godly, to be right before God. Because the grace of God teaches us to live as a child of God, a set-apart, dedicated life to Him inwardly, outwardly before others, and upward before God. All of those things are necessary. And letter D, we're to keep working we're to keep teaching, and we're to keep living these lifestyles by loving the servant life. As children of God, we are God's servants. And I'm going to come back to verse 13 in a moment. Verse 14 says that Jesus Christ gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Consider these three ideas there on your study guide. How we are to love the servant life. 
as children of God, we've been made to be servants of God. We serve Him because He gave Himself for us. And because He redeemed us from every lawless deed. These things, He redeemed us from living that, that kind of life. That's the majority of the world. And he's called us to live differently in this present age. Inwardly, outwardly, and upwardly. And we've got, we've got to get that if we're going to be effective in reaching the people around us in our communities. To have a sound church. He purified us, the passage says, as his own special people. And we're to be zealous. We're to have this burning desire, this intense desire in us to do good works and to live for him. And don't you know, people will see that. And they will also see a lack of that. And they will see it burning in the denominations. They will see it burning in others who are not godly. They may be sober, they may be righteous, but they are not godly. They are not right with God. And so Satan will draw them over to man's religions instead of God's religion. We're to love the servant life. God's grace teaches us that, that we are his servants. Life is not about us. It's about him and giving ourselves to him. Letter E, look with me next. How the grace of God motivates us to keep on keeping on. And we are to look for the Savior's coming. The Savior's coming. Verse 13. Let's look at 12, 13 together. The grace of God teaches us, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the here and now, in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious Savior of our God and, let me reread that, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As children of God, if, if we're going to be effective in reaching our communities and the people around us, we've got to be people who are looking for Jesus. I mean, we're just not going to be effective. We're not going to be a healthy church if that's not on our radar. If we're not thinking about that often, that the Lord is coming back and he will remove us from the presence of sin. He's going to take us out of this place and put us with him in heaven. And we're going to have that blessing. So that's a motivation for us. We're looking forward to that time. And that's motivating us. And indirectly, that's helping us as the church, the people of God, to be more attractive to the world because, oh, how the world is looking for something better. They're always looking for something better. And they need to know about that good and abundant life that Jesus has. And we can know about it right here. And we can partake of it when we have faith. We trust God and we obey Him even as children of God. God's grace reveals hope. The hope that we have the trust that we have in God, our hope he is based on God's promises. It's not wishing for something that doesn't exist or won't ever exist. Or as I like to say, hoping I'll win the lottery and I never play. That's not the type of hope. I hope I win a million bucks. It's based on what God has said. And God keeps his promises. He's honest. He's true. He's faithful. He's not like Satan, the liar, the adversary. And so our hope of our eternal life is based on that. And that gives us what we need to keep on keeping on. To remain faithful, to keep working. Even though Satan is attacking us. 
Even though we're discouraged sometimes. Even though we get knocked down sometimes. Because God's grace reveals our future home to us. We are, again, look at verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's similar to the words of Jesus in John 14 when he said he would come back and he would receive them to himself. That where he is, they would be there also. Let's continue forward in this wonderful text here. The Lord gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. Purify for himself his own special people. Zealous for good works. Let's move next into verse 15. We are to keep working and particularly keep working evangelist. Key word evangelist. When I look at verse 15, it's similar to verse 1. Verse 1 is directed not to the congregation at large, but to the evangelist Titus. But as for you, that's speaking to Titus, speak these things which are proper for sound doctrine. Verse 15, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. The evangelist needs to continue to serve God by speaking, by exhorting, and by rebuking. And the church needs to know that. They need to know, hey, that's his work. Titus was to constantly talk about these things. Verse 1 and verse 15 are somewhat repetitive. It's, it's a command and instruction repeated twice there. You do this. You exhort. You exhort. And the idea there is to appeal to the will. There may be a typo there. I think it said the eel. I like to have typos so people pay attention. Ha ha. When, 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 a, when, a, when an evangelist exhorts, if he, if he understands that properly, if I understand that properly, we're to appeal to the will of the listener, to the people around us. And the command there is present tense. He keeps doing this. It's, it's on and on and on. It keeps going. He is to exhort. He is appeal, to appeal to their mind, to their will, and also to rebuke. And incidentally, in our earlier studies in chapter 1, we learned elders are to do that too. They're to rebuke. And I mentioned earlier again how these two go together. Evangelists and elders serve together. Their work is similar. It's not the exact same, but they have similarities with the teaching and the exhorting, the rebuking, and the service in that way. When people have fallen away, when they have erred from where they once were, they need a rebuke. If and when, and when I have heard, I need it, I do, and I will need a rebuke. When people who once were doing their duties, but now aren't, they, they need a rebuke. They need to be reminded of where they need to be. When people are slow to do what the scriptures teach... They need to be warned. Again, going back to our past study, but in chapter 1 where the elders were told to rebuke them sharply in chapter 1 verse 13. The, the idea is there that they rebuke and they expect immediate attention. Like you can't play around with this and wait a while. Elders are to exhort and say, hey, this is important. This is, this is a priority. You can't wait and wait and wait. God wants us to make those changes now, not tomorrow. This command of being rebuking or, or to rebuke, it is a command, again, that's continual, a continual action. And he is to do it, look at verse 15 again, with all authority. 
I think the idea there is with the authority that God puts in his word. And, and, and he's to teach the word of God correctly in its context. And he should have, as we say, a Bible verse that he's not using. He's teaching that verse. I don't know what it is, but for me, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard when I hear somebody say, I use this verse. I think I know what they mean. <laughs> but we don't need to use a verse. We just need to teach the verse. So often, if we're not careful, we've used it for some purpose that perhaps God didn't intend it. That's going to come through careful study. And an evangelist is one who's given that charge. 1 Timothy 4.16, to the evangelist Timothy, take heed to yourself and the doctrine. You notice that? Now to the elders, we mentioned this earlier on Sunday morning, to the elders, take heed to yourself and the flock. And so you can see their respective roles there and the importance of that. The evangelist needs to keep working by speaking, by exhorting, and by rebuking. Now let's consider together verse number 15, the last phrase. Number three on the study guide. Keep working. Do not disregard the word of God that the evangelist teaches. And I'm not saying that because I serve as an evangelist. I'm saying that because that's what the scripture says. Keep working. Do not disregard the word of God that the evangelist teaches. In our English language, I'm thinking from my study the word disregard. And some translations have that. Let no one disregard you. That means that it's a sin to disregard a godly evangelist that's teaching the truth. That's, that's what it means. It doesn't mean that a preacher has to preach in such a way so that no one feels they're despised or no one despises you for teaching the truth. It's let no one disregard you. That means that the evangelist is to be in the face and in the cares and in the lives of his brethren. Have you ever felt over the years of your life in service to God you know that preacher, he was, he was always around. He was always, he was always talking about God. He was always exhorting. He was, he was just always something about the Bible. That's all he can think about. Well, that's, I mean, that's what he's commanded to do. The idea here of, of don't let them disregard you is the idea of don't let them miss out on what you're saying. Don't just take, uh, you know, silence or no and, and quit and give in and give out and give up. Get in there and keep pleading. I know it's easy for us to say, well, if somebody ignores it, they walk out of the building, they won't, we write them off, they're done, they've chosen their fate. I'm not so sure about that, you know. We need to keep trying. I mean, I get it. At some point, we could be casting pearl before the swine. I get it. But an evangelist is not to let people disregard what he's saying because what he's saying is the word of God. And he has to plead, listen, this is the word of God. And so any godly preacher of God's word, if he's worth his salt, he's very serious about what he's doing. And it's like, it's that all the time, you know, because he's charged with this. It's not about him. It's the weight that I feel when I study this and think, I'm going to stand before King Jesus. 
If I treat this like a game or just a social setting, he's going to say, what did you do? I told you to do this continually. That's the idea of the present tense verbs. Keep doing this. Do you ever feel like the preacher's, he's still, he keeps doing that. He's still teaching that. He's still doing it over. That's what the Bible says. We've just got to get that. And hopefully, because godly preachers should, they have a right attitude. They love their brethren. And they love people in the community like you do. Because we want them and others, myself and you included, to be right with the Lord. There are people who are going to reject the truth. There are people who are going to mock the truth, laugh at it, say negative things. But if we compromise that as evangelists, as elders, as brothers, as sisters, as members of the body of Christ, we are not going to reach the community. We're just not going to. And what we might think to be growth, people pouring in our buildings, it may not be biblical growth. It may be something else. It could be, as one of my instructors used to say, it could just be swelling. It's not biblical growth. And so we've just got to keep these kinds of things in mind. What the grace of God does, and you can see there in the conclusion, is God's grace, it changes us. And, 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 and it changes us by teaching us and by us obeying and doing what God says in faith. Just like chapter 2 says, the evangelist was to speak these things that were proper for these healthy doctrines. We can't leave out the fact that essentially 10 verses are devoted to relationships within the church. We can't only focus on no instruments of music and worship. We can't only focus on baptism for the remission of sins. We can't only focus on the one church. We keep that going and we keep that in our hearts and our minds as we're teaching the one church how to live. The older people, the younger people, and everybody in between. And I truly believe it's the grace of God that motivates us. When we, when we, when we get discouraged, when we're down, if we go back to what we know is true and we put our trust in Christ as children of God, it will motivate us. He will give us the things that we need to push forward, to move forward, so that we can be right with God and bring others to Him. Be effective in doing that. Building up a healthy membership. God's grace keeps us going. We could look at a number of people throughout time recorded in Scripture. Godly men and women who were sinlessly perfect, you know, no. Who never got discouraged because it was easy to be a child of God back then, no, no. Who never had anything very serious to deal with. They never had a time in their life when their mom died and their brother died and their wife divorced them or, no, they had those troubles too. That doesn't belittle our troubles. That helps us to keep things in perspective. God cares about those trials. He provides a way of escape. He won't let something turn us away from Him if we so choose to be loyal to Him. But the grace of God motivates us to keep on keeping on. Even when we may not think it's going to get better because as we develop and grow like the older men, the, the text, they become sensible and they realize, I can trust in God. I can trust in God's Word. And that's the effort that I'm trying to put forth here. I know many of you, and I appreciate you all so much. I grew up five-something hours from here. Didn't know anybody here, barely knew Brock before I moved here. I feel at home. 
That's not by accident. That's because there's godly people here who love the Lord. They love the church, including me. There are other people in Craighead County and in your county here that deserve that same opportunity. And as the body of Christ, if we strive for perfection, we won't achieve it, but you know what we will achieve? The will of God. We won't achieve sinless perfection, but we will be perfect and complete before him. We can be effective in reaching people. Even if it seems like nobody wants the truth. Everybody's mean and hateful in America. Everybody's going to the denominations. If we'll quit thinking about that and start thinking about every soul that we encounter and how I'm behaving as a member of that local body. Am I keeping on, keeping on? You know, if we quit keeping on, and I have some dear loved ones in my life right now, they've quit keeping on, keeping on. They're not reaching anybody for the Lord. They're hindering people from coming to the Lord. I don't want to be that way. I don't think you do either. So again, the key for tonight, keep going. Keep serving. Our labor in the Lord is not a waste of time. Even if no one obeys, it's worth it. Because we've obeyed God. And we've glorified Him. I think about Ezekiel. He was sent to the nation. God told him, they ain't, ain't going to listen. So why in the world did God say, what was he, wasting his time? No. No, every time God's word is taught, whether it's behind a piece of wood or in a conversation or at the workplace, it glorifies King Jesus. Let's don't be so focused on numbers that we get discouraged when we don't see more results. Let's don't do that. Our loyalty to being a healthy church and being effective in evangelism should not be contingent upon how many respond. Our hard work is directly connected to how much we love Jesus. And I said this already, I'll repeat it again. We don't need to ask the question, am I doing enough? We need to ask the question, what more can I do? Because the Lord deserves it. I don't deserve it, but the Lord does. And let's be that healthy church. Don't uh, rumble around in the songbooks. Stay paused for a moment. Is there a soul here who has not, through a study of the gospel, studying the Bible with it open, not, not what your mom said or what you grew up doing, from your own study of the Word of God, you have come to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, as he, he instructs us to do, John 8, 24. Is there one here who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, who has not yet changed their heart about their life and about sin and about God and the way they live God requires that, Acts 17.30. Is there one here who has yet to confess? That's like an oral pledge. Saying what God says about Jesus. That he is the son of God. He's the Lord. Romans 10.10. Is there one here who has yet to do that publicly? Not merely in your heart, but with the heart through your mouth. Is there one here who has yet to be baptized? That would be immersed in water by the authority of Jesus Christ Acts 238 
not to show you're saved, not because you're already saved, but to get saved, to be forgiven. Is there one here who was not thinking about that when their body was immersed in water? Dear listener, dear friend, you need to obey the gospel from the heart. The heart has an intellect, it has emotions, and you need to obey God with both. If you didn't do what God said to do the way he said to do it, the gospel teaches we're not prepared. Jesus said that we have to know the truth before the truth would set us free. Well, we can't learn it wrong and do it right. We just can't do that. And sadly, there are many who will bank their eternity on what their family said. And here's the thing that I've encountered, and if you're thinking of this, please listen. One of the greatest things that I've heard individuals say in my little time of experience about being baptized for the remission of sins, not to show you're saved, but to be forgiven, as Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Their biggest argument is, I've already been baptized. And I've met many people like that. There were individuals, as recorded in Acts chapter 19, who had already been baptized. But they didn't know what they needed to know. They had been baptized with a different baptism. They needed to be baptized with the right baptism. It may be that you're here and you're thinking about that as I say these things. If you have questions such as that, I know I publicly say it myself and Brock Kendall would schedule the rest of the night to study the Word of God. You, you, God wants you to be prepared. He didn't want you to wait. He didn't want to think. He didn't want you to think about it for a long, long, long time. He wants you to look at it closely and think deep and then make a decision based on what you know the Word of God says. Jesus loves us. He died for us. If you're not a member of the Church of Christ, I'm begging you and pleading you to look in the Word of God and learn about the church that Jesus built and seek to be a part of it. The grace of God teaches us those things right there in the Word of God. And as children of God, may we ever remember that there are things that we need to do. There are behaviors that we must exhibit if we're actually going to be effective in doing the things that God wants us to do. Namely, making disciples of all the nations. And here's the good news. When we mess up, when we stumble, when we fall away, God is not in heaven going, hey, hey. He is a great God of grace and mercy and kindness. And like the loving father in the parable, Luke 15, he's looking, he's waiting, he's longing, he's using his children, his evangelists, his elders, his deacons, his godly wives, his godly mothers, his godly Bible class teachers, saying, listen to me, come back to me, do the things that I want you to do, confess your faults, repent of your sins, 1 John 1, God's faithful and just to forgive you, even in the matter of of being selfish, even in the matter of focusing on self and forgetting about the community about us. There are essentials for evangelism, namely a healthy membership, particularly for tonight, one that keeps working, doesn't give up, doesn't give in. That requires constant feed on God's Word and positive encouragement from people who take God seriously. That's why we need to be ever so careful about the friends that we choose, the things that we watch, the things that we listen to. We're not going to be healthy if we're listening to those things of the world. 
that distract us from what's most important. Maybe you're here as a member of the Lord's church. You've been discouraged. You've been focusing on something else. And you know that's not right. And you want to be right with God. Your God is calling you home through his word right now. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. The Lord got spit in the face for you and for me. If you need to respond, we sing a song of invitation to encourage you. Almost persuaded. Being almost persuaded is being totally lost. Don't be almost persuaded. Be fully persuaded. Make your calling and election sure. The decision is yours. Let's stand together and let's sing.